Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. You used to associate crickets with silence. But since you bought a house in the suburbs, you know crickets hate silence. If any other creature realized rubbing its legs together made a piercing high-pitched noise, they might think, maybe I won't do that. Constantly. All night long. Luckily, you can save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto. Now that's something to make noise about. Just not constantly. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. At The Home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. You can learn how to install new single pole switches, as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com slash workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 66 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Digital Federal Credit Union, better known by all of us as Simply DCU. And whether you're driving off the lot or refinancing, DCU can help you save on your next auto loan with rates as low as 1.49% APR. You heard me, 1.49% APR. You can learn more at dcu.org slash auto. Insured by the NCUA, membership required. So whether you're looking to get brand new wheels or you're just looking to refi the ones you have, Head to dcu.org slash auto. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Jag and Detroit Podcasts. John Jag Gay is a Malden kid who's been transplanted to Detroit. And if you're looking to get into podcasting, you need an expert to help. And he helped me. Whether you're trying to figure out how to get started with equipment and setup, or maybe you want to have a podcast for your business and need someone to take care of everything. From recording, production, editing, and getting it all online, Jag and Detroit Podcast can help make that happen for you. With over 15 years of radio experience and four in professional podcasting, that means your show is going to have the sound of a professional radio show. He'll even co-host it with you if you need somebody to do that. Nobody can tell your story or your business's story better than you can, and JAG can help. For more details, log on to jagindetroit.com. That's J-A-G in Detroit.com. Okay, this episode of the podcast I was super excited about because Miles Kennedy is, number one, extremely busy. 
And number two, he doesn't do a lot of interviews, as you'll hear in this episode, because he's protecting his voice. So whether he's touring with Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators, whether he's touring with Alter Bridge, or whether he's out on a solo tour, especially now as he's getting ready to support his new solo album, The Ides of March. Between traveling and press and getting up on the stage every night to be able to give the audience the best performance possible, you don't get a chance very often to sit down and talk to Miles. And I had heard he was an amazing guy, totally sweet and open and honest and approachable. But I never really got a chance to sit down with him and have a conversation. And I always kind of wondered why. And now I know. So I was honored that Miles took the time before he hit the road on the Ides of March tour to talk to me about his solo album, how he's been spending his time through the lockdown, to talk about how he takes care of his voice, to give me marriage advice, and to talk about songwriting. We even talked about Sven Gulli and Buck Rogers. And at some point, conversations always go to the dogs. Literally, we talked about our dogs. I really enjoyed getting to know Miles, and he was exactly as people had described him to be. Charming, wonderful, approachable, open, honest, and so much more. So allow me to introduce you to Miles Kennedy. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Hello, Mr. Kennedy. How are you? Wonderful. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I appreciate you taking time out of your incredibly busy schedule to hang out with me. Well, I don't know how busy it is. It hasn't been that busy for the last 18 months. I can assure you that. So, no, I'm, I'm just happy that uh, someone wants to talk to me. Well, when I look at rock stars that wear many hats that are always busy doing something there is a list there's Dave Grohl there's Corey Taylor there's Mark Tremonti and there's you it seems like you are just always doing something yeah I I think um for whatever reason, I just uh, I don't like to sit around. I, I don't I don't uh, I don't enjoy downtime. Uh, some people like vacation. I dread vacation. So let's keep working. <laughs> well, for the last 18 months, um, you haven't been able to do very much out on the road. How was that adjustment for you being home so much? 
you know, it was it was good in some ways because it allowed me to reconnect with my family and 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 kind of power down and kind of reevaluate where things are, you know, and wake up in my own bed. So that's been good. You know, it's been good to catch up on about 10 years of lost sleep from from touring nonstop. Um, but uh, it, and it also allowed me time to write a record. So so that uh, that was definitely a, a perk. But um, with that said, after being you know, in the same place for the longest I've been really probably since two, maybe, gosh, when I come to think of that, probably since the early 2000s. So I'm just not accustomed to being home this much. Um, as most musicians, anybody in the touring industry will tell you, this has been a, this has been a switch, um, but uh, we're ready to go. I was looking for some advice from you because uh, the entertainment industry and rock and roll does not a long, happy marriage make. And you uh, celebrated your 18th anniversary, and I just celebrated my first anniversary. I got married in the middle of the lockdown. So now that you've been home for probably the longest amount of time since you guys got married, do you have any marriage advice for me? Oh, gee. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, congratulations. Uh, that's I, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a firm believer in uh, in, in marriage. I think it's it's pretty, pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I think that just communicating and being look, it, it, it's like with any relationship. It just be be honest. You know, don't keep any secrets. Just lay it out there. Be transparent and communicate. And you know, it's, it, sh it shouldn't be that difficult. And so uh, after, yeah, after 18 years, those would be my, my words of advice. During the lockdown, I realized how special my dog was. Not that I didn't know Wednesday was important before, but especially over the last 18 months, having that, you know, that constant love and companionship. You're a dog guy too. Did it make you appreciate Mozart a little more? <laughs> yeah, he's he's funny, man. I mean, he's just got so much attitude. He's such a little character. And I definitely have come to realize that he rules the roost here. He, he I do appreciate him. Yes. But I've come I'm now very aware that we are essentially his uh, we're his little helpers and and he does what he wants when he wants. He's funny because he's six years old and he still has toys like so. And he's very the Shih Tzus are funny because they very, they're very routine they're, You can you can set your clock by a Shih Tzu. So he wants breakfast at a certain time. And then after he has his breakfast, he has this thing called face clean. <laughs> he knows face clean and he waits for his face to be clean. And then you give him a treat. And then it's like immediately he runs where he knows the toys and now you get me my toy and I play with my toy. I mean, it's very bizarre. Um, so uh, it's, it's, we've come, both Selena and I have come to the realization that we are simply his, uh, you know, his, 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 uh, his helpers. And uh, we're cool with that because he's, he's cute as hell. He's not going to be happy now that you're going back out on the road. He's not going to like it at all. He's going to, he, I don't think he's going to adjust very well to that, but uh, he'll get it figured out. So you had all of this time to be able to write the Ides of March. If you had written this album during your normal life of touring and jumping between all the projects, how different would this album have sounded? What influence over the songs did that extreme lockdown time have? Well, it certainly informed the, the narrative. I mean, I think that 
because there was so much uncertainty when I embarked on the, the writing process, this, you know, started in really in May, uh, March of, of 2020. And most songs were then written or finished by June. And that was an interesting period because there was still a lot of uncertainty. We didn't know where things were going. We didn't, there was just so much to learn. And so I feel like the songs you can, you, it's palpable. You can hear that in the, in the, in the tone of the lyric. And as far as the ability to focus, you know, I, strangely enough, we were on tour with, I was on tour with Alter Bridge in, in February. And I remember asking my manager who's like, Oh, by the way, you know, you, you're slated to make a solo record in, in August. And I'm like, man, I, we're supposed to be touring. We were supposed to head to Australia and we're supposed to head to, to Asia. And they were just like, where am I going to find time to do this? Well, two weeks later, the world shuts down and I had all the time in the world, which in a lot of ways as a writer, that's what you want. You want that, 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 ability to focus solely on the songs and not have to worry about anything else. And it ends up being good for the, for the vision of, of the, uh, of the, of the body of work. And so that was a, that was something I hadn't experienced in a long time, having all of that time. You've done two solo records now, and obviously you mentioned Alder Bridge. And then there's this other guy that plays guitar that you play with sometimes slash, what makes the songs on Ides of March Miles Kennedy songs and not Alter Bridge songs and not Slash songs? What? How do you compartmentalize your creativity and decide, okay, well, this song I'm going to use for this project. And is it the collaboration and that this you got to do by yourself? Yeah, that's the main, I think that's the main difference is, is they're very different processes. So with Alter Bridge, really up until Walk the Sky was a different kind of record because Mark and I essentially showed up with a lot of those songs com- completed on our own and then presented them to each other and then the band. And that was just because we were so busy. We were touring in our all of our other entities. But up until then, it was Mark and I getting together and we take pieces, put them together. And that's how the, the songs would be created. With Slash, it's the same sort of thing. He'll present uh, basically a track of music, and then I will put my melody and my lyric to that. So, you know, it's never something where I should call up Slash and say, "Hey, I've got this riff." I mean, I'm, who's gonna? <laughs> I mean, come on, it's Slash. Like he's a he's a riff master. So I'm. That's the last thing that's going to happen. Um, if you did that, how would he react? I think it would just be. I, I think it would be about a. a 10 seconds of silence and then maybe a little chuckle and he'd be like, okay, man, that's cute. Miles, as he pats you on the head, that's a cute, cute little guitar player. Miles, (laughs) you keep up the good work, buddy. Did you start playing guitar first or did you realize you could sing first when you were a kid? I took the singing thing for granted. I thought everybody could sing. I didn't really think much of it. And so I started playing guitar when I was about 14 or 15 and was just obsessed with it. And I didn't want to sing. I was a shy kid and I, I knew singers had, you know, they were the guys that stood in the center of the stage and, and kind of had a certain thing that they did. And I just wanted to play guitar, maybe step up for eight bars or 16 bars and do a solo, then step back and hang out by the drummer. I was good with that. But uh, when I started writing songs, then I realized, okay, well, I think I'm going to have to take that singing thing and, and, and utilize it. And I'm glad it, 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 uh, I, I think if I hadn't done that or if I hadn't, um, been aware of that 
particular part of what I do, um, life would have turned out differently. Do you still have your first guitar? I do. I do. As a matter of fact, it's uh, so my first guitar was my biological father. He'd started learning to play on this and it was a, it was kind of a cheap uh, nylon string. And my mom told me that my little brother and I used to sit there on the bed and watch him kind of pluck around and play chords. So that was the guitar he had. Uh, and then he passed away and then I found it. And so I was four when that happened. And then I found it again about I don't know, eight years later, sitting in a closet. I'm like, what's this? And I said, well, that was your dad's guitar. So that when I started learning the first few, I think I learned Breaking the Law. That was like one of the first songs I ever learned. It was, I was, yes. I, I was playing on that guitar. Yeah. Um, when you start playing guitar and, and you realize there's a proficiency there, right? That, cause, cause if I picked up that guitar out of a closet, nothing would happen. Um, and then you start, you actually started teaching people guitar. So if you, in your professional career, were working with anyone else, you would be taking over a lot more of the guitar parts, but you have this uncanny ability to, to surround yourself with guitar players that, are, that aren't just proficient. They're, they're otherworldly. <laughs> yeah, it's... It, it somehow that's i don't know <laughs> how that happened um maybe maybe i just they realized that there was a kindred spirit like oh this guy's a guitar player and he sings so we get along well because we get the nice thing about being in bands with guys at that level is that you you know you you can always learn something and watch how they approach things for for example like with slash one of the things that's been really eye-opening for me over the years that I, you, you wouldn't necessarily consider because when I grew up listening to Appetite for Destruction uh, or, or just kind of watching how he um, kind of presented himself as an artist, it was like very, it was very rock and roll. Like it was very like, you know, you just assume a lot of that is he just wakes up and he does it. And he, he, he does, he's a natural, he's a, he's an incredibly gifted natural player. Um, but he really does understand how rehearsing and repetition is such a foundation for being a, an accomplished player or a, a decent band. So he's, he's somebody who I've, I've learned from in that respect that it's all about rehearsing and rehearsing a lot. And I think that that's uh, that's been a really great um, it's been a great thing for me to see. As you get ready to go back out on the road, you're going to have to get back into that that schedule, like the Shih Tzu, right? You have to get back yeah. into your your touring schedule. What do you do when you're out on the road? Because you're always either recording or touring. That's got to wreak havoc on that voice that you have. How do you take care of it? What's your regimen for that? Well, I'm pretty, it, it's a kind of a drag because I love this. I love talking to people, but on the road, I don't get to do that much. And I don't get to do a lot of press because I'm always aware of the show that night. And for whatever reason, talking and my voice just don't go as far as being able to produce that night. Um, it's always been that way. And there are some guys who can talk all day and they can show up and just kill it every night. My voice is kind of finicky. And I, so I've had to understand that. And it's, uh, um, something where I just try not to use my voice a lot during the day and save it for the show, which is, uh, 
you know, it's kind of, it is what it is. And I've been doing this for a long time and I've just learned to, you know, to deal with it. I mean, I make a living just talking. And at the end of the day, just talking, my voice is tired. Never mind having to go out and hit the notes you hit every night. Talking is tough on the voice. It's funny. I didn't realize how difficult it was until I started. Okay. So back in the nineties, I would teach. So I would teach all week and then uh, it was like mid nineties. And, and then I would travel to Seattle and play shows, which is like five hours from where I live here in Spokane. And I remember by Thursday, you know, I was talking all day, teaching people on the guitar. And then I'd be like, man, my voice is tired. And I, I haven't even been singing and then show up Friday in Seattle and be like, why is my voice? So, we, this is the first gig in the last week. And it was, you know, it's because of the talking. Um, I, I read something and I wasn't sure if it was true. Being from Boston myself, were you really born in Boston? Beth Israel Hospital, right there in Boston. Yeah. How long were you there? Four not years. In the hospital, but I mean, in Boston, growing up. I was in the hospital for four years. No, uh, so so yeah, <laughs> yeah. We so I we, I was born there, and we lived in a few different places. Uh, Weymouth, so in the outskirts there, uh, and and uh, we ended up leaving right after Dad died. So so Mom was just like, yeah, you know, let's let's start over, and we, then we moved to Wisconsin from 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 the Boston area. But uh, yeah, you know, it's like I always wonder how different life would have been had. I stayed in Boston because, you know, there's so many great schools there, like music schools. I always have dreamed of what would have, what would it have been like if I stayed there and gotten to go to Berkeley school of music? You know, that was always kind of like a dream. So, um, just so many great musicians have come from that, that whole thing. Well, the reason why I ask is that I'm fortunate enough to talk to a lot of musicians and artists. And one thing that always kind of comes up is that no matter how young they were when they moved and how long it, they've been away there's always a little of that boston attitude that seems to have stuck with them if they were born here <laughs> interesting yeah so there's got to be something in you that still you know whether it's your temper or the fact that you like to drive fast or there's got to be something that stuck with you you know that's i'm really glad you brought that up because i there is this thing I was just talking with somebody about this. I I consider myself pretty, I don't know, pretty mellow in general. But there is this weird thing every once in a while, and it's when when driving, where it, it's very East Coast, where it's like somebody does something, and I just it's like a f switch goes off, and I'm like, where did that come from? So it must be Boston. Yes. It all makes it. Yes. Thank you so much for 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 enlightening me today. Now I understand. It, it was something that I didn't realize because you take for granted when you're born and raised in one place, right? But as I started talking to people, like I interviewed Diamante, she was born in Boston, but moved away when she was 12. So it's not like she'd learned to drive in Boston, but it doesn't matter how young you were. There always seems to be this little bit of Boston that sticks with you like herpes and you can't get rid of it. <laughs> you heard it here folks exactly this is what I we do on the mistress carrie show it's just what we do we're inappropriate a lot of the time amen to that that's all good uh one of the things that i wanted to talk to you about speaking of boston is before the lockdown um i ran the boston marathon which no 
which being born and raised in Boston and, and working in radio at WAF all those years and broadcasting from the finish line, you, you know, you're with thousands and hundreds of thousands of drunk people and everybody's like, I'm going to run it one day. And then I did. And I wanted to bring it up because being music people understand this kind of thing, right? That if you're going to do something, you need like a playlist. You got to put music together. And one of, uh, so I put all this rock music kind of in this long run training playlist. And so I had set this music to be at certain points in the race, knowing how slow I am as a runner. And I got to tell you that between mile like 23 and 24, when things get really hard mentally, Alter Bridge Before Tomorrow Comes was on my playlist. And that song to this day, I know mentally helped me get through a really difficult part of the course. And every time I hear that song, because it pops up in my playlist and stuff, it brings me right back to that part of the race. And it was, I don't know what it is about that song, but um, it helped me get across the finish line. So I wanted to say thank you. That's awesome. You know what? That's really amazing to hear. Um, Cause you, as an, as a, as an artist, you don't, you don't always get to hear those stories and, and boy, I mean, that's heavy. I mean, I used to be a runner myself and I know how difficult, and I've never run a marathon. I've always dreamed of being able to run a marathon, but my knees just are like, no, that's it's, not going to happen. I have bad legs, bad back. I, I just, there was something about it that I was just like, I just want to tackle that beast and see if I can beat it. Well, you did. That's, that's amazing. And the fact that before tomorrow comes helped you on the journey and, and helped, you know, push you across the finish line. That's uh, wow. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Awesome. I talked to a lot of songwriters and because you do so much songwriting either by yourself or in the collaborative process with the amazing artists that you work with all the time. Um, I asked this question of every songwriter and um, I don't care the genre of music or the era of music or who the artist is, but as a songwriter from your perspective, can you give me an example of what you consider to be exceptional or perfect songwriting and explain from a technical point of view why that's such good songwriting? Like a song that is so crafted that you covet it and say, God, I wish I wrote that song. Jeez. Um, well, <laughs> happy birthday because <laughs> imagine the publishing you'd be getting off of that bad boy. Isn't it um, public domain no, now? Isn't it, isn't it free now? It's public domain. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just joking. I, I mean, there, there are so many as a, as a writer where you hear it and it just makes you scratch your head. You know, how do they, how do they do that? Um, you know, you can put it, put up anything from the Beatles really. And, you know, a day in the life and, and just the, the kind of the, the way that song unfolds, the, there's a certain, obviously there's a melodic element, but there's also a, a certain amount of unpredictability, you know, that did, you know, I think that's the thing that I didn't necessarily realize for a long time was how important that just small element of, it's like when you go see a film, you don't want to know, you don't want it to be predictable. You want it, you want it, you want it to take twists and turns and go, Oh, how did they think of that? And that's what I get from, from a lot of the Beatles catalog. It's like, where did that come from? And especially with the Beatles was how did they record all of that on the equivalent of a four track? Like it's, it's absolutely mind blowing. And, um, for people so, that don't understand the process of recording music, 
the technological limitations that the Beatles had to find a way to get over to create the music they did in that time is part of what makes them so legendary. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's uh, I'm trying to think of an analogy, but it, it's it's truly epic what they were able to to achieve. And look, I think in 300 years, people are still going to be talking about the Beatles the way we still talk about Mozart. Not my dog. <laughs> we'll still be talking about your dog. Um, did you see the, the Rick Rubin docuseries with Paul McCartney? I started to watch it. I need to finish it. I really, I think that's, I've heard everybody who's seen it just can't stop talking about it. Well, so. you better do it before you you're, get out on the road. I mean, you're going to run out of all of that downtime to Netflix and chill at home. I know, I know. Well, that's been something that has been new for me is the opportunity to watch television. Because on the road, you just don't get to do that. Uh, you know, maybe on the day off or on the bus, but generally speaking on a bus, for whatever reason, people are always watching sports. So, and I'm not really a, a big sports guy. Cause I will, if, if I'm rooting for a certain team, they will lose. I'm, I'm the, it's the curse of Kennedy. So well, I'm convinced see, of that. That's the part that you didn't take from Boston. Oh, okay. All right. All right. That's, there you go. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I think the, yeah, I mean, I think there's just so much great content out there. And and then I recently, I'm embarrassed to admit this, I've discovered there's there's like these, I love older TV from when, and it's kind of just, you get the feels because you're growing up. So I love going back and watching old Buck Rogers reruns. Um, there's this guy that my wife and I recently discovered. His name's Sven Gulli. Have you heard of Sven Gulli? I know the it's, name, but I don't know why. Man, it's great. So it's like a Midwest thing and they run they run a show, they syndicate it here in, in Spokane. And he's just incredibly knowledgeable about older, like scary films. And 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 it's kind of campy, it's kind of fun. And he wears this this outfit. And at first I was like, who's this guy? He's got like a top hat on and makeup. I'm like, what is this? And then you're like, this guy knows his stuff. He knows all the details about the actors and the producers. And then he informs you about how the film was made and what these people went on to do. So yeah, that's be kind of that's become a thing for for my wife and I. We have to be home on Saturday nights to see that. So when I head out on the road, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have to, I guess, record it. One of the things that I know you do that I never really liked, my love of reading left me when I was in college because it was forced and I had to do so much of it and reading stuff that you just don't want to read. And during the lockdown, because I'm in front of screens so much and the news was so bad for so long and, you know, having WAF go off the air last year, which for me, having been there for 29 years, was just devastating for me that I, I decided I wanted to try and lower my stress level and to just sit down with an actual book, not like a screen with an e-reader or anything. But you're, do you still read a lot? Is that what you're doing on the bus when you're not watching sports with the guys? I, you know what? Honestly, I don't anymore. And here's why. For whatever reason, I open a book and I get to the second page and I'm asleep. I just can't, I don't, I don't understand what is happening here. Can someone explain? Cause I, I used to love to read. I used to just absolutely love it. And it could also be because of these, uh, these phones and the, the internet, our attention spans are so short now. So I, I, 
you know, it's something that I'd like to, I think the last book I read, I finished the Elton John autobiography, which was actually really great. And that I had a hard time putting that one down just because there was so much cool stuff, all the behind the scenes stories and how the songs written. But I recently tried to dive into a classic uh, a book and uh, I just couldn't get through it. You know, so it's back to watching Svengoolie. Speaking of <laughs> prolific songwriters, I mean, could you imagine having a songwriting relationship the way that Elton and Bernie Toppin do? Because it seems so strange. Son, it's such an unorthodox way of doing it. It fascinates me, really. Like, in in some ways, it's very enviable because... I, for me, the part I enjoy the most is writing the music. I love writing music. I love coming up with melodies. When it comes time to put lyrics together, it's like, oh, this is the hard part. And so for for Elton to have this incredible lyricist to to feed off of is is really awesome. But what's here's what I don't understand. It's totally backwards from how I write. So they take, you know, Bernie hands him the lyric and... Elton sits down, looks at the lyric, and then composes the song after the fact, comes up with the music after the fact, which to me is just like, wow, what a... It doesn't change it. No. Like, it's, it's crazy. I don't understand. I mean, I'm not a songwriter, which is why I'm fascinated by the craft, which is why I'm always kind of pulling information from songwriters to kind of understand how your brain can work. But it seems like it would be so limiting that I would be focused on the parameters, like the the area, oh, okay, this is my dance space. I can't call her outside those lines because you've already given me the lyrics. But I guess for Elton, that there's got to be some freedom in that too, right? Maybe. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's what it is. Um, regardless, it's 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 been working for 50 years, right? Um, yeah, who am I to criticize it? <laughs> me too. <laughs> Uh, before I let you go, because you're getting ready to go back out on the road and it's something you haven't done in a while, the rock community, I think, over the last 18 months has really shown its artists a loyalty and a camaraderie that I think maybe a lot of other genres of music aren't lucky enough to have um, because it doesn't really, like, when when your audience in rock loves you, they love you no matter what and they'll love you forever. So can you just talk to me about your fans and, um, you know, fans of Alter Bridge, you know, everything you do with Slash, just just the fans and what they've meant to you and what that support has meant to you over the last 18 months? Yeah, the, the fans are, it's interesting because a lot of rock musicians will, this will come up um, for whatever reason they are the rock the, the the rock fan is about as devoted as they and as loyal as 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 anything i i'm truly blown away by that and always have been um and i think that you know as time goes on especially for someone like myself who's been in the business now for you know, a few decades and I still see the same people at the shows, you know, it's like they don't move on. They just, they stick with you through thick and thin. They give you a chance. Like for me with these solo records, you know, I, I understand that I'm making records from a genre standpoint that may not be everybody's cup of tea. It's something that I need to do for me. And it's, it's part of the artistic process. And I am blown away at how many of them allow me, not just allow me the, the luxury of doing that, but also come along for the ride, 
you know, they'll show up to the shows knowing that I'm not going to play a bunch of Alter Bridge or Slash tunes. I'm going to play songs that are more um, focused on the on the solo realm, and they're and they're they're great. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm super, we're all lucky. All those of us who are in this genre, because if you're a pop artist, it's different. It's a different thing. You know, the, the, they're, they're, it seems like fans are a little more can be not in this generalization, but can be a little more fickle and, uh, here today, gone later today, but with, with rock fans, metal fans, that doesn't seem to be the case. You're going to be out on the road and we're getting ready to commemorate a pretty somber 20th anniversary in nine 11. And, um, that night actually seven dust is playing here. So I'm going to spend that anniversary with the seven dust guys and to go to that show. And I know there's going to be so many veterans, military personnel, first responders that are going to be looking to go out and do something. And you're going to be out on the road as well. Can you believe that it's been 20 years and that, I mean, it blows my mind that it's been that long. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Um, I, yeah, I, I think the um, it seems like it was just yesterday, you know, it, it and, and it was what a day that was. Um, I re- I'll, I'll never forget it. I was actually somebody had just passed away and uh, I was driving to it was about, nine, you know, nine in the morning here in the, on the West Coast. And I was driving to the to their house to leave some flowers that I got. And I turned on the radio and. I was like, is this like war of the world? I mean, what's, this isn't real, is it? There's no way. So I drop off the flowers, head back to the house and turn on the TV and a, you know, it's still so, that's a, those memories will never, I don't think they'll ever disintegrate because it just had such a profound effect on the, on the world as we knew it. Um, But it is pretty incredible that two decades of art have already passed. And, um, and how much technology has changed? Like you talk about, like you didn't even know right until you got in the car and you put the radio on now it would be impossible for you to, to not have known because you would have woken up checked your phone there was no twitter i think younger people have a hard time kind of imagining that we were almost in the internet dark ages still exactly exactly yeah it definitely uh um so much has changed i mean imagine how different it's going to be 20 years from now like it's crazy we're going to be asking young people to help us figure out the technology because we're going to be those old people that have no idea what we're doing. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, you're headed out on the road. You're touring with um, the new album, obviously, The Ides of March. And then then what happens? It, you know, provided the tour goes off, then then what happens? Um, then I come home and I watch more TV. <laughs> I really do love this new thing called the television. No, um, we'll see. I mean, hopefully things will kind of get back to the way they were over the next year or two. And we can, you know, we can all do what we do. I, I, I hope so. I mean, right now, when you go out and tour, there's just a lot of protocol. There's just, it's a different, it's a totally different thing. And so. But do you already have like Alter Bridge stuff lined up and stuff with Slash lined up when he's done with Guns N' Roses? Yeah, generally with my, in my realm, things are kind of planned for the next three years. So provided that the universe allows it, yeah, hopefully we'll be getting back in the saddle and and making records with all these entities and touring and getting back to the way, the way things were pre 2020. That's the, that's the goal. 
Miles, it was so great to catch up with you. I know because of your vocal regimen that a lot of the time when you come to town, we don't get a chance to talk. So I really appreciate you taking the time. And, um, you know, hopefully the tour goes off without a hitch and it'll be nice to get out in front of the fans again. Absolutely. And it's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Of course. Anytime. You're welcome on the show. Anytime you, you feel like beating up your voice by talking so much. All right. We'll do it. See you later. Thank you. You take care, right? There he is, Miles Kennedy. Like I told you, he couldn't be any more gracious and sweet and approachable. And I absolutely loved talking to him. Now, in the show notes of this episode, check out the link for the corresponding playlist. I make one for every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast. It's filled with all of his music from his new solo album, The Ides of March, Alter Bridge, Slash, featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators, and all the other music that we talked about. You'll also find all the links to find Miles Online, Alter Bridge Online, and Slash Online. And if you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss anything from the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, plus every weekday you get the sit rep. The Situation Report gives you all of your rock news, music headlines, and industry info in less than five minutes. And thanks once again to our sponsors, Digital Federal Credit Union at dcu.org and Jag and Detroit Podcasts at jagandetroit.com. You can always find me online at mistresscarry.com or every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern, you can find me live on my Facebook page for Cocktails in the War Room. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. If you're looking to get a new car, you could really cut expenses by bundling your car and renter's insurance with Progressive. Sure, you love your old car, but you know it's not normal to give instructions on how to open the window. It should be self-explanatory, but it's not. And notice how when you're in other people's cars, you can feel cushion in the seats? That's pretty nice, right? No, it's just normal. So bundle your renters and car insurance with Progressive and put the savings toward a new car. It's time. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. At The Home Depot, we're dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. You can learn how to install new single pole switches as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.